So this is a little mini-series that we've been doing over the last couple of weeks. It's called Say What? And the premise of it is like a phrase where we would say, I can't really believe that you said that, or you've got to be kidding me. Uh, a more common phrase would be, say what? Like, I don't really believe what you're saying. I can't believe that. And, and, and the basics of this series are that there are many times that Christians say things that a non-Christian, when they hear them, they, they may not say it, but they think, say what? In other words, I don't understand what you mean. And very often, those phrases that we sometimes use as Christians not only are unknown to somebody that's not in the church and a part of the church, but it may even decide, it may even push them to push away from the church because they begin to get the inclination that Christians think that they're better than anybody else. And, and that's one of the challenges for life as a Christian. So I, I, the series is really about trying to get us all to think about what we say and about, about how important it is that we say the things that we say and we're intentional about those things. Uh, we've looked at a couple of phrases, uh, everything happens for a reason and God won't give you more than you can handle. And today's phrase is, come with me to church. Now think about that for a moment. If you are an unchurched person, if you are a non-Christian, and somebody in your world comes to you and says, hey, come with me to church, what does that mean to you? If you've never been in a church before, what does that mean? I would guess that at the very least it's going to be off-putting to you if you've never been in a church before. I don't know about this church stuff. Why would I want to go? Now, they would be off-put not just by you, but maybe uh, a person invites them to go with them to their synagogue or to their temple or whatever. They're going to push back on those people, too, because they don't really understand that. And, and they maybe even have the perspective that they don't really think they need God. Why do I need this God stuff? Oh, you can't be a person living in this society that we're in right now, especially in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. You can't live here and not know that there are churches out there and that churches are supposedly something to do with God. But to an unchurched person, it stops right there. I don't really know about this church stuff. How, how, how am I supposed to interpret what it means when you say to me, come with me to church? So I want to invite you today to think about that language and about what it means. And, and, and let's be honest that, that the biggest challenge for an unchurched person uh, to come to church, the biggest challenge for an unchurched person to come to church is us. We're the ones that put the obstacles out there because we are hypocrites. And you understand what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is someone who says one thing and does another. And what an unchurched person won't understand, and we should shouldn't expect them to understand it is that being a Christian doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean you have the ability to live per perfect. It means you're aspiring to live a different way. And that's why God sent Jesus to show us a different way, to live a different way. And sometimes Christians can get, uh, can get a little bit legalistic about their lives and about what they do, and the Christians can become legalistic. When they become legalistic, they begin to say things like, like, well, you're not really a Christian if you don't go to church. You're not really a Christian if you're not in a life group. You're not really a Christian if you're not reading your Bible every single day. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it's not difficult to walk away from church and feel guilty because you realize I'm not the person I should be. And we get defeated. 
But some of us, sometimes, we start making these prescriptions about what it means to be a good Christian. And what happens is that we begin to become like the people that Jesus railed at in his own day. And these were the people called the Pharisees or the Sadducees. They were part of the the elite of the Jewish crowd. And they were the rule followers. And they believed that if you followed the rules, you would be in right relationship with God. But Jesus called them out. In a, in a huge way. Listen to some of the ways that Jesus called them out. From Matthew 6, verse 2, he says, Whenever you give to the poor, don't blow your trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may get praise from people. I assure you, that's the only reward they'll get. Matthew 6, 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that people will see them. I assure you that's the only reward they will get. Matthew 6, verse 16. And when you fast, don't put on a sad face like the hypocrites. They distort their faces so people will know they are fasting. I assure you they have their reward. Mark chapter 7, verse 6. Jesus replied, Isaiah really knew what he was talking about when he prophesied about you hypocrites. He wrote, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. Now, in its its original language, this word hypocrite, some of you likely know, is a word that we're familiar with. Hypocrite, in today's vernacular, would be actor, because that's what a hypocrite was. An actor, somebody who portrayed one person when they were actually a different person. And, And a hypocrite is somebody whose talk does not match their walk. And as much as I hate to admit it, as much as I don't enjoy admitting it, I am one of them too. I am a hypocrite too. I'm one of God's projects. I am not perfect. Sometimes I make selfish decisions. Sometimes my walk does not mirror my talk. I want to be a great husband, but sometimes I'm not. I want to be a great dad, but I know that there have been times where I have disappointed my kids. Now, if you ask Chrissy, Chrissy will say, Frank's a great husband because she loves me anyway, because she understands that I am not perfect and she is forgiving of me. Uh, Maybe you've heard me say before, uh, probably 10 years ago, we had this conversation right after Christmas about the upcoming holiday called Valentine's Day. And And uh, we had this long philosophical conversation about how Valentine's Day is a hallmark kind of a holiday. And, you know, it's really just a a marketing deal to get you to spend money on each other and stuff. And nobody really knows about St. Valentine. Nobody really cares about St. Valentine. So it's all about, you know, this Valentine thing and stuff. And, and, And we started having a rebellious streak about, well, maybe this year we shouldn't celebrate Valentine's Day. And on Valentine's Day, as it came, uh, later in the day, I was presented with a card and a gift from Chrissy for Valentine's Day. And, oh, I wished I could have found a bush that I could hide behind at that moment. Because you understand, I thought that we had agreed that we weren't going to buy each other cards. So guess what I got Chrissy for Valentine's Day? That would be absolutely nothing. And that Valentine's Day wasn't the best Valentine's Day that I have ever celebrated in my life. And thank you, Chrissy, for being loving in spite of my failures as a husband. 
But I would acknowledge before you today something that you know about yourself, and that is that I am a mixture of good and the not-so-good as well. Think about one of the greatest places of challenge for us to be consistent with our walk and our talk, and that has to do with driving. Think about the way you drive. Think about what you do when somebody cuts you off in traffic. Now, think about what somebody else does to you if you cut somebody else off in traffic. The things they might say to you or the finger that they might wave at you, right, in those moments. But, but think about a day where maybe you got cut off and you used restraint. You didn't uh, do anything. You didn't say anything. You just kept driving. But imagine if God uh, was to do a little video presentation to us at the end of every day. And that video presentation would be of all the things we did that day. But layered on top of that video presentation would be our thoughts in addition to what was actually happening. And on that day when you got cut off in the traffic, the video rolled and you, you saw yourself, you know, not say anything. You kept your hands on the wheel. You didn't say anything. But on top of that was layered your thinking. And in the next moment, that car that just cut you off was hit by the Sidewinder missile and blew up and exploded in your face. Now, you can't tell me you haven't thought about that, about how fun that would be. But this is not just about how you and I drive. It is even more importantly about how we deal with our relationships, our spouses, our kids, our grandkids, our neighbors, our co-workers. That's where the proverbial rubber meets the road on this issue of hypocrisy. And let's be clear, oh, by the way, that this mixture of good and not so good also raises up its head in the way that we give financially back to God. When people who study giving habits of Americans, when they look at what we give, it is a, a pitiful percentage of our giving when you and I know, I would guess for the most part, that God asks us to tithe, which is giving 10% back to God, 10% of our income back to God. And it's one of those places where in the Bible, it essentially says, put your money where your mouth is. And, and, and God challenges us in Malachi to say, hey, test me in this. Test me if you don't find yourself blessed because of your giving. Think about going to a birthday party for somebody that you love and not showing up with a present. Or think about showing up on Christmas morning and there'd be no presents under the tree. Oh, we love to spend money on people that we love. But how are you and I showing, demonstrating our love for God in the way we spend our money? Now, please don't misunderstand me. I wouldn't tell you this because I don't want to be hypocritical. But as lead pastor, it's important for me to say to you on, on occasion that that Christy and I are committed to financial giving, that we gave to Lighthouse over $9,000 this last year. And I don't say that. To, to say what a great person Frank and Chrissy is because we're not. I say that to you so that you would understand that commitment level that we have, that we are seeking to try to express our love for God in our financial giving as well. But it's just one of those places, friends, let's be honest about it, where we like to say we're Christian, but we don't act like we're Christians because we're cheating God with our finances. We are a mixture of the good and the not so good. Think about it this way. Paul says in Romans 7, 18, he says, I know that good doesn't live in me, that is, in my body, 
The desire to do good is inside of me, but I can't do it. If you were to ask me what was one of, the, uh, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, oh, I would mention Luke 15 for sure, but I would also mention Romans 7 because the Old English kind of phrase that comes out of the seventh chapter of Romans is, the good I would, I do not. The good I would, I do not. In other words, I am caught. I believe you are caught as well because we want to do good, but very often we don't do what is good. It's kind of a life chapter for me, Romans 7 is. And think about this society in which we live and, 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 and the dichotomy of the society in which we live where, where the commercials that we see on TV try to depict uh, Americans as perfect people. Look, think about the commercials and think about the people that are, that are in those commercials. If it's a pharmaceutical product, then it's going to have somebody in it that's going to be maybe my age for the pharmaceutical products, for, for the older folks that are around. They're, those people are going to be showing up in those commercials. But by and large, when you look at the marketing campaigns of you name it, it's almost exclusively young people. Because our society is so enraptured with youthfulness. And everybody wants to be young and wants to stay younger and stay in a particular place. And so we put on a pedestal the people that are beautiful and young and put together in the right way. And they are emulated in our society from front to back. Trying to convince us that we could be like that if we would just try. If we would just buy their product, then we would be young too. Think about the cosmetic industry in the United States, or think about the cosmetic industry around the world. Zion Market Research says that in 2017, around the world, people spent $550 billion on cosmetic products, men and women included. And that by 2024, the number will be around almost $900 billion that will be spent by people on cosmetic products and by and large, cosmetic products are intended to make us believe that we're younger than we are. My point is that this society in which we live seems to want us to be young and to admit that we have some kind of perfection in us when that couldn't be farther from the truth. We are not perfect, you and I. It is why Jesus died to help us know about God's perfection Paul wants us to, pardon the expression, Paul wants to be frank with us, recognizing that we are broken, that we don't have all the answers. And one of the greatest gifts, the greatest gift of all time, is the gift of Jesus. And because of Jesus, when we accept him into our lives, when we live for him every day, we begin to become more perfect than we are today. And the word that the Bible uses for this idea is the word sanctified, Sanctified is a word that means set apart. Sanctified means that we are holy. Do you realize that you, in God's perspective, if you have invited Jesus into your heart, you are holy. You are sanctified by God. Say it. I am holy. Now say it like you mean it. I am holy. God believes you are holy. And for some of you here today, that is a huge obstacle because you think that you are so worthless that God would never love you. God would never care about you, but that's a big lie. There is not a person in here who is perfect. All of us are imperfect, and God sent Jesus so that we could have a relationship with God even in spite of our imperfections. 
What an amazing gift that God would sanctify us through Jesus Christ. John Wesley, the founder of our tradition, uh, spoke a fair amount about this word sanctified and also the complementary word sanctification. Sanctification is about the process of being made more perfect by the Holy Spirit living in us. You are being made more perfect every single day because God lives in you. And if you don't have God living in you, if you haven't invited Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior, then I want to encourage you on this Mother's Day to do the most important thing you could ever do in your entire life. And that would be to invite Jesus in. Because then you begin to know this perfect love of God. Paul, when he started the church, in, or wrote his first letter to the church at Corinth, he says this about being sanctified. He begins the letter, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctified, Paul said, set apart. You are holy. And sanctification, we are all moving on to a more perfect place because of God's love in us. So there's a conundrum that we're faced with. If we're willing to admit that we're imperfect, how do we live? How do we become less hypocritical uh, if we are imperfect? How do we combat hypocrisy? So today I want to invite you to think that there are two things, at least two things that a godly mom does that help us with our hypocrisy. Two things a godly, mom's, a godly mom teaches. The first one is humble your talk, and the second one is accelerate your walk. Humble your talk and accelerate your walk. I gave my first sermon when I was 15. The summer prior to that, I had accepted Jesus. I've said many times before, I, was, grew up, I grew up in the church, knew all the right answers. But finally, when I was 15, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Let the church say amen. amen. And that following spring, the youth director at my church said, Hey, Frank, the youth Sunday is coming up. I want you to preach that day. And I was going to preach at both services at my home church out in Tucson. And I had written my sermon on three-by-five cards. And the night before I was to give the message, I, I took those three-by-five cards and I went to my mom. And I said, hey, mom, I want you to read my sermon and give me some feedback about it before I give it tomorrow. And so she read through it. And as, after she finished reading through it, she said, she said, well, let me ask you a question. What is the point of a sermon? And I said, well, I, I guess it's to, to draw people closer to Jesus and, and encourage them to continue to walk with him. And, and she said, well, maybe you should consider talking less about you and talking more about Jesus in your sermon tomorrow. And, I, and my eyes went like this, and I'm like, hey, that's a great idea, right? And what mom was doing in that moment, as moms uh, can so subtly do, she was telling me, Frank, you need to humble your talk. You need to make it more about God and less about you. Because mom understood that oh, people don't really care that much about you. They care about God. They want to know about who God is. It was a gift from my mom 
early in my life as a Christian to understand the importance of humbling my talk. Perhaps you're more familiar with a more used version of this phrase, which says, watch what you say. It's like that word hypocrite, actor, somebody portraying somebody else. I have found that the more humility I insert into the words that I use, the more the gap begins to close between the person who I say I am and the person who I really am. It's why we need not have inflated ideas about who we are, inflated images of who we are. We need to be willing to admit to our shortcomings. We need to admit them because our shortcomings become a bridge to somebody else because you please understand, if you're giving off the image that you're perfect, then how can anybody relate to you? The only way they're going to ever be able to relate to you is if you make sure and establish that you are imperfect. And because of that, then it becomes a bridge to somebody else. Think about a family that may be in this room today that's got little kids. If you're walking around here in the lobby and, and, and you've got little kids tagging along, if you see another family that's got kids and you've never met them and they may be kids of similar age, you're going to instantly have some kind of a connection with that family because they have similar circumstances. That becomes a bridge to conversation. Some, suddenly, people become relatable. So we can talk, but we need to humble our talk. The other thing godly moms teach that becomes a tool to over, overcoming hypocrisy is accelerating our walk. Now, let's be clear. Accelerating our walk is not about trying to get more steps in so you can make your step goal for today, right? Uh, but just like getting your step goal doesn't happen unless you actually take the steps, Accelerating your, accelerating your walk is about investing in your relationship with God. What are you doing to actually invest in your relationship with God? Sometimes we get caught up in the church on legalistic formulas about what it means to be a really spiritual person. In fact, there are divisions that happen among churches and, and denominations that wholly get started because one, one group of people says, well, you're really not a Christian until you do this. And there are some others that say, well, you're really not a Christian unless you do this. And, and churches divide and split over that thing all the time because we get caught up in some kind of formula for spiritual growth. Spiritual growth. And sometimes we, we walk out of churches feeling guilt-ridden because we're not the person that we should be. I don't know about you, but I'm not the person I should be. And let me say to you, if you're not feeling like you're the person you should be, then let me say, welcome to the club. And don't let the devil continue to try to beat you down to convince you that you're a bad person because you're not who you should be. Every one of us ought to be able to say, I'm not who I should be, but I'm striving to get there by Jesus living in me. I'm becoming more like him. The kicker on this whole deal is you've got to decide to move. It's not okay for you to be static in your walk because if you're static in your walking, what you're doing is you're standing still. And some of us are just standing still in our faith journey. We're not investing in our relationship with God. We have to accelerate our walk. Before my mom died, my mom died almost nine years ago. Uh, it was in the spring. It was about this time of year that Christian and I made uh, a journey out to Tucson to see my mom because we knew that the end was not far for her. And when we got there, it was a, a bittersweet time because mom was not in good shape. Her dementia was pretty strong. She could speak some. She could get a sentence out sometimes. Often it was just a word. Often it wasn't a word you could understand. 
And, and there was just, there was this tug that was going on in Chrissy and I, because here's this dear, sweet mom, this woman that we love so much. And, and, and to see her coming to that end of her earthly life was such a challenge for us. And after we came to the conclusion of our time there, we, Christy and I were hugging dad and mom and kissing dad and mom. Mom was in a wheelchair at this time. And amidst the tears that we were fighting back in a big, big way, because we didn't, Christy and I didn't want to just bawl our hearts out as we're leaving because it, it would, it would, it would kind of feign that mom's not going to be around much longer, even though she knew that as well. We fought back the tears, and, and we hugged mom, and we hugged dad. And as I hugged mom, mom pulled me closer, and she said three little words in my ear. She said, keep following Jesus. Keep following Jesus. That's about accelerate your walk. Because my mom knew that she was getting ready to die, even though we didn't want to talk about it. And she died a couple of months later, but she knew that the only way that I was going to ever be able to see her again is if I kept following Jesus, because that's the only way you're going to ever get to know and see that person that you love who followed Jesus before you, is by following that person, following Jesus into heaven. Accelerate your walk. So what does accelerating your walk look like? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Accelerating your walk around Lighthouse, we'd like to say, use the phrase, do you know what your next step is? What's your next step? And we use these four little words to embody this idea of next step. It's, it's intended to help us think about movement, about this, 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 these four words, connect, grow, serve, share. Connect is about connecting to Jesus, and it's also about connecting to other people. If you're new around here, I would hope that you would want to find a place to get connected, to get plugged in. We have a little class that we do every month. That's our Connect class. It's about connecting to Lighthouse, getting integrated into the life of Lighthouse. The way that you can find out the most about these four issues in one place is through the little app that we have. That's the Lighthouse app. If you've not downloaded the app before, I want to encourage you to download the app because it's, it's organized around these four little words, connect, grow, serve, and share. And you understand about connecting and growing is about accelerating our walk. And serving is about serving. There's actually a class that's going on right now called the, guess what, the Serve class, where you learn about spiritual gifts and about aptitude and about places where you can serve. And the last one is share. And, sh and sharing is about learning to share your faith. There's somebody that is in your life, in your world, some of you work with, some of you live next door to, somebody in your family that doesn't know who Jesus is, and the only way they're going to ever get drawn closer to him is if we are willing to share our story with somebody that we know. The power of Jesus in us transforms us, changes us, makes us become sanctified, makes us grow in our understanding of sanctification. And isn't it great to know that when you accept Jesus into your heart and life, that he makes you a new person? Paul said it in his second letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 5, verse 17, says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. You are a new person. Can you say amen? Can you say amen? I'm a new person every day. Because of Jesus, every single day, the old life is gone, a new life has begun.
It is then, because of Jesus living in us, that when we invite someone to come to church, that they may find themselves pulled, but the reason that they'll find themselves pulled is because of you. Now, please understand this. Please hear this. The reason that many people end up in a church is because they observe you, and the more you humble your talk and accelerate your walk, the more they will be drawn to you because they will see that there is something about you that is different than everybody else that they view in their world and their lives. And with enough time, with enough time of observation, they can determine that there is something about you that they want. So that when you would say to them, come with me to church, they might be open to that. And oh, by the way, one of my pet peeves is that we always say, come with me to church. I wish we would stop saying, come with me to church, because we are the church. This is, the building is not the church. We are the church. We are coming on Sunday morning to worship God. That's what the church does on Sunday mornings. So when you're late to show up on Sunday morning, don't tell your kid, hey, we're going to be late for church. Say, no, we're going to be late for worship because that's what this is about. It's about worshiping God. It's about helping people understand. Instead of saying, come with me to church, hey, would you join me in a big family gathering that we're having on Sunday morning at my church? Something like that helps people who have never been around the church, who don't know who Jesus is, begin to understand that this is intended to be a family gathering. We are family because of Jesus. And they will come because you have humbled your talk and you have accelerated your walk. Because of you, because of your talk, because of your walk, God will use you to be an influence in people's lives. And I believe it's one of the great gifts that a godly mom gives to his or her, to, to her children to help them know that the way of life has got to be the way of Jesus. May we follow him by the power of his spirit to be that person God has called us to be. Accelerate your walk, humble your talk, because of Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen? Bow with me in prayer. God, we confess, we acknowledge today that we don't have it all together. We confess, God, that sometimes we are actors. We say one thing, we do another thing. God, by the power of your Spirit in this room right now, there are people that are struggling with darkness, struggling with habits that are destructive to their lives. God, we're not here to point fingers at anybody. We're here to celebrate that you have the power to help us overcome whatever obstacles we are facing. God, by the power of your Spirit, help us to see you in the midst of these challenges. Help us to use our words with humility as we speak about life and we speak about you. And God, may people catch us doing things that are right instead of things that are wrong. May our wives, may our husbands, may our kids see that in us we are seeking to be consistent with our words and our actions. God, thank you that you love us so much that you provide for us, Jesus, to lead us in this life. Thank you, God, for moms that teach us so much 
about Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.